Uh, we've chosen this series on the hard sayings of Jesus, and uh, we kicked off a few weeks ago. So we're going to turn to the Bible now, if you have a Bible with you, uh, from John chapter 6. It'll also be on the screen if you want to follow the reading there. And I'm going to be reading from verse 53 to 60, from John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Let's pray uh, together. Father, we just thank you that we can read the Bible together. And we pray that as we look at this hard saying of Jesus, that you would speak to us. And that we would respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat? I don't know if you remember a man called Morgan Spurlock. Anyone remember him? He ate nothing but McDonald's for a whole month. And he made a documentary called Supersize Me. Anyone remember that? His body weight, just in that month, rocketed over 10%. He started suffering from depression, lethargy, mood swings, and severe headaches. So if ever your children say, can we go to McDonald's? There's an illustration just to tell them. Not that we'd recommend McDonald's every day for a whole month. We know what we feed our bodies affects our health. But also we know what we feed our souls affects our health too. The passage that we read um, together was the original hard saying of Jesus. That's where we get that title for the series from. As John records, on hearing what Jesus said, many of his followers said, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Different translations record that as this is more than we can stomach. This is too hard to swallow. And the implication is that they not only found it hard to understand, but suspected that if they did understand it, they would find it unacceptable. Again, with all the hard sayings of Jesus, last week we looked at hate your family, you have to look at the context. It's crucial. So if you have time this afternoon, you want to read that, the passage before and after what Jesus has just said there, you'll get that context. 
here the context is the feeding of the 5,000. It's one of the few incidents that are recorded on all four Gospels. But John, who writes his Gospel later than the other Gospel writers, sees that there is so much more to the feeding of the 5,000 that meets the eye. It is a sign. And John alone records for us the message that Jesus brought to the synagogue shortly afterwards, there in Capernaum. Verse 59, he said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And the theme of his talk was the bread of life. And we don't know whether it was prompted by the readings that were for that given Sabbath, as when he went to Nazareth and he was given the scroll to read and it was from Isaiah and he said, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Whether it was from Exodus 16 or Numbers 11, where it tells us about how when the people of God have been brought out of slavery in Egypt under God's mighty hand, you remember the plagues, and he brought his people out and they wandered in the desert for 40 years because of their disobedience and rebellion against God. But he provided for them in the desert. He provided bread for them, bread from heaven. He called it manna. And Jesus tells them that although miraculous, that manna that he provided for them for each day, they had enough for every day, was just bread. It didn't last. You couldn't save it up for the next day. It perished. It wasn't food for immortality. And likewise, when he teaches about the feeding of the 5,000 with bread, just a few loaves, he fed 5,000 men, let alone women and children. That bread was just bread. Now, the response of the crowd, if you read John's gospel after the feeding of the 5,000, is that they wanted to make Jesus their king by force. And he comments on that. He says, you, you only want to do that because I filled your stomachs. I mean, any politician who promises that his people will not be in need will be popular. And so the crowds were following Jesus. And so often a lot of these hard sayings are in that context. When the crowds are following Jesus, probably for the wrong reasons. Because Jesus had come to do so much more than that. If you remember in John chapter 4, if you've read the gospel, just as he offered a Samaritan woman living water at a well, which was for eternal life. So now he offers bread that will endure to eternal life. It is one of the I am sayings of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of heaven and it will give life to the world. So far, so good. There's nothing controversial about that. They would have remembered the stories of the manna in the desert. They would be remembering the feeding of the 5,000. So they naturally say, this is good. We like this, what you're saying, Jesus. Give us this bread. 
If it gives us eternal life, we want this bread. Jesus goes on to say that true life, eternal life, is only found in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And Jesus promises that whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. More than that, Jesus says, not only would those who believe in him by faith find sustenance and refreshment for their souls, they will never die. And then Jesus says this, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And the bread I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now it begins to get a bit tricky. A bit harder. A bit harder to stomach. Whoever eats me. Now we if we've read the end of the book, have a huge advantage over the crowd there in Capernaum. Do we not? We, we have a huge advantage with this table that's set before us this morning. But imagine for a moment hearing that for the very first time. The lesson begins to get harder. And it's crucial here, that reason why people were following Jesus, because he begins to say to believe in me is not just to believe that I'm a good man. I've met lots of people who think Jesus is a good man. Met someone last week who thought he was a good man, way ahead of his time. But that was it. Some believe that he was a godly man, a prophet. But to believe in Jesus is not just to believe he's a good man or a godly man or even give credence to his message. But it is to be united with him in faith, by faith, to participate in his life, to be grafted into his life. As Paul would say, to be in Christ is what we need to be. To be united with him in faith. As the other gospel writers say, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. So the obvious question for those hearing what Jesus is saying is, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, if we're honest, we'd be, we'd be those sitting in the background saying, I'm glad he asked that. I didn't want to ask it because it seemed a bit obvious, but someone else has asked it. Great. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, Jesus does this quite a few times. Remember when he met Nicodemus, who was one of the Pharisees? He he talked about being born again, and Nicodemus couldn't get his head around it. How can I be born again? Do I have to enter in my mother's womb once again? And Jesus says, no. Now, the congregation in Capernaum are out of their depth. If you've ever felt confused by me or Edward, I mean, just think of this. And Jesus repeats himself as if they haven't got it already. He says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. 
Now that kind of frazzles your brain, doesn't it? What does Jesus mean? Plainly, we know that his language is not literal. He is not advocating cannibalism. But to his hearers, to those Jews, this wasn't just strange, it was deeply offensive. It was forbidden in their law to have anything to do with blood. If they ate meat, it had to be drained of all its blood first. What could he have meant? Which is a good question. I came across one of the most moving and often forgotten stories about King David. King David is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He was flawed, like us all, but he was a man after God's own heart. And in one passage, in 1 Chronicles 11, verse 19, there's this story. It concerns a time when David was fighting against the Philistines, who were their enemy. And the Philistines had occupied David's hometown of Bethlehem. And one day, David and his men were pinned down, they were hiding, and David was thirsty. And he said out loud, I would love to have a drink from the well in Bethlehem. The water is just so good. He's just said it out loud. And three of his men, they're called mighty men in other passages. They loved David so much. They were so loyal to David. They sneak out of their hiding place. They cross enemy lines. They get into Bethlehem. They get to the well. They draw some water out of the well. And then they go back to David. They risk their lives for David just to have a drink of water. Because he said, I'll, that water in Bethlehem is so lovely. I'd love to have a drink. They risk their lives for David. And they present him with water from the well in Bethlehem. And in the story, David receives the water. And he pours it out on the ground. And this is what he says. God forbid that I should drink the blood of these men. God forbid that I should drink the blood of these men. This is a Jew speaking about drinking blood in the Old Testament. What does he mean? He kind of recognizes that what the men did for him, out of their love for him, out of, out of their loyalty, out of, how daring were they to risk their lives just to give David a drink? And he can't bring himself to drink it because it's like drinking their sacrifice. How selfish would it be to drink their sacrifice? It'd be like drinking their blood that they had risked for David. 
And as I pondered on that story, it gave me a little bit of an insight into what Jesus is saying here. Jesus, who laid his life down for you and me, who crossed enemy lines, who took our sin and our brokenness and our shame on the cross, who shed his blood for us. What sacrifice, what love. That Jesus would do that for us. Turns it on its head. These men loyal to David did it for David. But Jesus, God in the flesh, did it for us. And he says, if you want to be part of me, you have to drink it. My sacrifice, you have to be part of it. You have to receive it. You have to accept it. Jesus when he died on the cross, was offering his blood for us. Augustine, a great theologian, said this, to believe in Jesus Christ is to have eaten his flesh and drunk his blood. It's as if Jesus is saying, if you wish to profit from what I have done for you, from my sacrifice, you have to receive it. You need it to be part of you. Not just acknowledge me from afar. Not just say I'm a good man or a godly man or he said wise things, but receive me into your life. Another passage in John when he washes the disciples' feet and remember Peter says, no, you can't wash my feet. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, unless I wash you, You have no part of me. And then Peter says, then wash all of me. Take, eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this cup. It is the blood of the new covenant. Drink it in remembrance of me. These words are familiar to us. And to all those who follow Jesus because we have done this. We have shared this simple meal in remembrance of Jesus for 2,000 years. And we will share it until he comes again, until we go to be with him. It points to communion, it points to the Lord's Supper, it points to the Eucharist, it points to that sacrament in which Jesus' body and blood are shared. Some people have seen in this passage in John, because John, unlike the other gospel writers, doesn't have an explanation about the Last Supper in his gospel. He doesn't record the meeting in the upper room. He doesn't record those words of Jesus. So some have seen in what John records of Jesus saying here, this is his words of institution to this meal. And those who partake only come by faith in Christ Jesus. And we never come lightly, frivolously, But we come, thankfully, reverently, and joyfully. The Word became flesh. 
and he gave it up for us all. And I think to really understand this text, we have to do something. We have to put our faith in Jesus. Because that's the chap who I met this week who thought Jesus was a good man. And he wanted me to share my story of how I became a Christian. Well, it's easy for you because you're on the other side. You would say that because you're on the other side. Of course, that's true. Until you take that step of faith in Jesus, this sounds weird, doesn't it? But when we take that step of faith, it's like our eyes are opened. We have to respond. And so this is Jesus' invitation. Whenever we gather and share this simple meal, part of that Passover that Jesus shared with his disciples, but he picked out bread and the cup particularly. And he calls us to himself. In the passage we read, many walked away at this point from following Jesus. And he asks the disciples, he says, do you want to walk away as well? And they say, where are we going to go? To whom would we go? Who else would we go to? You have the words of eternal life. Only Jesus has the words of eternal life. And we have believed that you are the Son of God. Where would we go? Now, it is true that even this meal that we celebrate can degenerate into an empty ritual. A religious happy meal. If we lose sight of the one who crossed enemy lines for us, gave his life for us, died for all our sins that we might have eternal life in his heavenly kingdom that he is going to bring when he comes in glory, a new heaven and a new earth. This is not a religious happy meal. This means everything. It demands our soul, our lives, our all. Don't come and share this if you're not prepared to say, Jesus, you can have everything. Because that's what it demands. Jesus isn't messing about. Those who are following him just for the extra bread that they got when they were fed. Those who are following him because he did amazing things. He says, if you want to follow me, you have to be part of me. And although salvation is free, following me will cost you everything. Ask the persecuted church. And in a way, it's only when God offends us that we discover the true shape of our heart. I can't remember which book I read that in, but I thought it was brilliant. It's only when God offends us that we discover the true shape of our heart. Are we going to walk away? Or will we surrender to Jesus? To feed deeply, daily, devotedly. Remember, we are what we eat. This is my body. This is my blood. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Amen. I'm going to ask the band to come back.